Now entering Nerdist.com. Welcome to the Writer's Panel. I'm Ben Blacker, the creator and moderator of the podcast. I created the show because I wanted to talk to writers about the business and process of writing. I've had more than 400 writers on the show, so go back and check the archives. I'm sure you'll find more creators and more shows that you're interested in. I'm a writer myself, having written with my partner, Ben Acker, for Supernatural, Puss in Boots, FX's Cassius and Clay, among others. We've also written comics from Marvel, Image, Dynamite, and more. We created a show called The Thrilling Adventure Hour. Maybe you'd like it. Go to thrillingadventurehour.com for more info. Let me know who you want to hear on this podcast by following me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, like the color, only more so, uh, and follow me on Tumblr at writerspanel.tumblr.com. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. It always makes me feel good about myself. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Please give a round of applause to all of our panelists. Thank you guys all for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, this is a powerhouse panel. Like, I'd watch this show. Whatever you guys are putting on, I'll watch the... I think I'm going to stand. I'll watch the show. Um, can we go down, uh, starting at the end with our old friend Doug Petrie, uh, please introduce yourself. Tell us what uh, some of your credits where we may have seen your name and what you're working on right now. Yeah. I, am I on? Yeah. I smell nerds. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm Doug Petrie. Um, I now work with the wonderful uh, Marco Ramirez on Daredevil. Season 2 is coming out next month. We're very excited. Yeah, right? I also worked on Daredevil Season 1. Worked on American Horror Story. Worked on Vampire Slayer, Pushing Daisies, and for God knows why, CSI Crime Investigation. (laughs) They fired me so fast. Um, as they should have. But that's it. I'm very happy to be. Uh, yeah, right? Come on. I'm not going to step on that. Thank you, Marco. Someone has to take charge. Right, thank you. Um, uh, hi, my name is Marco Ramirez. I also am working on uh, Daredevil Season 2 with uh, Doug Petrie. And uh, previously, uh, I worked on Sons of Anarchy for two seasons. I worked on Orange is the New Black, and I also write plays. And uh, that's kind of that's kind of it. That's me. Uh, I'm Melissa Rosenberg, and I uh, run Jessica Jones for Marvel. We're about to start up our second season. And thank you. And um, I also uh, was a head writer on Dexter for about the first four years. Wrote the uh, all, all five of the Twilight uh, movies. Very different projects. Uh, and I've been doing this uh, very happy TV writer for a long time. I'm Jessica Goldberg. I also uh, am a playwright, and uh, um, I was lucky enough to work on Parenthood with Jason Kadams, 
and then I created my own show called The Path, which he executive produces, and um, it will be on Hulu March 30th. We have a great cast of Aaron Paul, Hugh Dancy, Michelle Monaghan. You can watch our trailer. <laughs> uh, it's good. Check out the show, you guys. It's a good show. Uh, you, you did a great job on that pilot, sincerely. Thank you. Thank you. So, that's me. <laughs> I'm Jason Kadams, uh, the one she was just talking about, <laughs> speaking of. Uh, and I just did um, Parenthood and Friday Night Lights, and now working on the path of Jessica. Great. Thank you, guys. Uh, I want to start by talking to that table. Um, Doug and Marco and um, Melissa, uh, let's talk about Marvel for a minute. Uh, you guys were faced with an enormous task of taking a whole bunch of existing material. Uh, you know, this isn't a straight adaptation of, say, a book. Uh, this is a whole different thing where there are hundreds of books to try to fit into 10 episodes, 12 episodes of television. Can you talk a little bit about that process uh, going into Daredevil Season 2, what you, what the early conversations were, and Melissa, the same thing with Jessica Jones. Um, yeah, it's funny when you say, let's talk about Marvel for a second. All three of us looked for the snipers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Megan Bradner, She's you're here. There. Uh, there she is, yes, <laughs> with her little blow dart gun. Um, <laughs> um, it's a great question, and I think that you know it, it was kind of an embarrassment of riches for us in season two, um, and we were very lucky that season one, um, uh, Drew Goddard and Stephen Denight made these very strong choices at the beginning. What's this season about? And they were like, "Well, this is the the origin of Daredevil. Matt Murdock is going to become Daredevil." And what kind of evolved over time was that Wilson Fisk would become the kingpin. And that was a big... It, it looks very obvious in retrospect, but it was a big decision that kind of evolved over time. So they took these two big chess pieces and went like, okay, let's explore this completely and just this. And just was that, let, yeah. me, let me interrupt yeah. for a second. I apologize. I'm going to interrupt all of you a lot because I want to dig deeper on some of this stuff. But was that... Um, the Wilson Fisk story, is that something, both of you guys were there season one, was that something that came out of conversations in the room? Or was that decided uh, by Drew very early on? I'm pretty sure it was Drew's thing of, of I want this guy going up against this guy. And it was, it was a very smart decision because, you know, we can get so Easter egg happy. And you, you want it to be this, you know, like um, the all-star game. You know, you want everybody to show up. And we had to show a lot of restraint. You know, with that, and I think the idea of it's this guy over here who's a blue-collar blind lawyer who has homicidal tendencies and is figuring that out, who loves people, and I kept referring to him as Jimmy Stewart, and it's a wonder if Jimmy Stewart used fisticuffs, you know, um, which would have been a much different "It's a Wonderful Life," right? Um, and then you've got Wilson Fisk, who's this whole different character. And I think the way the season was structured, it was almost as if Fisk was the, the hero in some ways. You could really, really see into that guy's life. So it was building to this big confrontation between two titans. It was a very simple plan, which was really smart, because as I'm sure everyone else will you know, attest, the hardest thing is to be simple, and things get complicated fast, and you need to convey strong emotions to the audience. And so that path was really smart for season one. I would also just, and I think Melissa probably feels the same way about, about Jessica. Um, I, we, we didn't want to fall in the trap of 
becoming like the, the, the wedding cover band who was doing a version of any run in the comics. Uh, it almost felt like we wanted to do our run. Like, okay, what, what, what are we doing? Um, and, and to Marvel's credit, they never, it never felt like they were telling us, let's do these 30 issues. You know, it, it always felt but, like, you have the characters, now what's your run look like? There's also so much material, though, that finding your run could be a difficult proposition, I imagine. Yeah, but it, was ne- it never felt like, oh, let's not do this because that happened in the comics and we want to specifically do our run. It just felt like we've got these great actors. This is what th- these are our production limitations, and also this is th- these are our production possibilities. Mm-hmm. So let's just make the best possible TV out of this. Yeah. Um, that's that's kind of how I think we approach it. Yeah. Was it a similar thing, Melissa? Yeah, no, actually, because Jessica Jones only has Megan. Is it twenty four uh, episodes issues? Yes, a very very small run. Each one of them is an, like an incredible gem, but um, you know these guys had decades, and decades of material and huge expectations from the fans and the movies that had come out before. Oh, you know, there was a aside from the people who are really inside. Uh, you know, this mm-hmm. world. Most people don't know what Jessica Jones yeah. is or who and. Um, but that's so a different kind of challenge, I would imagine. Is how do you introduce this character to a wider audience and still be in this world, which Marvel has carved yeah. out? Uh, so how did, how did you... Was there a pitch for you? Did you have to go in and pitch on this project? Um, it was actually because I came on this project like before the whole Netflix thing was happening. Oh. I, I uh, developed it. I went into ABC Studios, and they're like, well, what do you feel like doing? Now that Twilight and Dexter are over on... <laughs> I really like to do a really deeply flawed female superhero, you know, kind of female Iron Man. And they're like, eh? So the radio Jeff Loeb comes in and, and brought me one and one only uh, comic book with Jessica Jones. Oh, funny. And it was like, this is the character I've waited my whole career to write for. And uh, so, uh, and, and the, the story of Kilgrave was, was uh, very much the arc of the 24 issues by uh, Brian Michael Bendis and, and Michael Gatos. Uh, which is just such a tremendous read. And um, so I knew back then, five years ago, that's what I wanted to do, and I wanted to have uh, Luke, uh, the, the relationship between Luke and Jessica be part of it. Mm-hmm. And um, that stayed. You know, Interesting. Interesting. All right. Uh, and I wanted to ask you guys sort of a, a similar question. Um, uh, Jason, of course, you developed Parenthood, but Jessica, you were there in the room as well. Uh, and it's sort of the question about finding stories. You know, you're working on a pretty big canvas on that show, as you did on Friday Night Lights as well. You know, what were the conversations in the room? How did you guys chase down stories? I mean, it's really a nuts and bolts, how did the room work question. Well, <clears throat> I, I think on, on, on Parenthood, uh, you know, it really, starting with sort of uh, the pilot and starting with how I kind of, you know, um, you know, um, sort of try to take. You know, I, I you know I was working on a uh, uh, on something where there was a movie that was a really wonderful movie, and um, it, the process was really trying to figure out. You know, what do I have to say about this? You know, it's like actually it was when I started working on the pilot, it had, it had been 20 years since the movie was made, and um, and I was kind of trying to figure out like well what is it that I can say about this that's different than what was in the movie um, and um, one of the sort of key moments for me was in developing the pilot when you know I added the story of the of the kid with Asperger's Max 
And that story was um, <clears throat> something that like wasn't in the movie, and it was something that was from my life. And um, and that was the moment when, for me, it was both the sort of scariest moment in the, the sort of the, the the that sort of early development process of it, but also the most um, exciting. Um, and um, and so moving forward to once you know we the show got picked up and we were in the room. Um, that story became kind of that that story for me became the um, sort of the marker for all of the stories we were to tell. And so when we were in the room um, <clears throat> on Parenthood, um, all, this, all the stories that we told were um, it started with stories from our lives, whether it was from our personal lives or our you know friends or families or relatives. And it started with us just talking because that's really was the stuff of the show, and um, and from that we sort of molded. And a lot of times, what a story wound up becoming was completely different than what the initial seed was. Sometimes it was insanely similar, and you know, too too similar in, in a couple of in a couple of instances. But um, you know, that was really kind of the way. You know, sort of, we approached it in the room. We really, and it was, and because of that, the room had to be a, um, <clears throat> you know, an, an environment where, um, you know, it was a completely open, emotionally open environment. You know, it had to be like a place where people felt like they could come and talk, and um, you know, it on certain days felt a little too much like group <laughs> therapy. <laughs> Um, but overall, it be it was this very very rich experience that I sort of I miss you know from my life beyond just missing the show and what we did on the show. I missed having that experience because there was something I love every writers room and the writers room on the path is amazing, but there was something particularly um, you know um, intimate about about you know that room because of the subject matter. Yeah, I, and I would imagine you know it's one thing. And, and I want to turn this over to you in a second, Jessica, but it's one thing, you know, when you're writing a show about the human experience in a very raw, emotional way uh, to bring in personal stories, right? We've heard a lot about crying in the parenthood room. Um, but, you know, I think the rest of you have all written stuff where there's not that one-to-one correlation. I mean, Jessica, I assume, I, and I may be being presumptuous, that you were not raised in a cult. <laughs> so can you can you talk about putting yourself into this new pilot, the path? Um, I, yes, yeah, I would. I, the, the show is about people in a new a new religion, so uh, they're in a cult. You you call it that? That's fine. <laughs> um, and and no, I wasn't raised in one. Uh, but but there was a the, I I was um, when I decided to write it, I was sort of experiencing a crisis of faith in my own life. And um, so it did come from a, a, a personal place, wildly exaggerated and, and put in this like uh, intense environment. But um, but uh, you know it was just a time where I decided to like shut a door and just write the thing I wanted to write. And um, and I had come out of this room, which was like you know where you 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 approached writing from this place that was more deeply personal. So, what was your way in for this show? Um, well, I, I I sort of like wanted to, you know I, there's this the allegory of Plato's cave in the in the um, in the show, and 
I sort of wanted to write about that moment that most people go through in their life where they wake up one day and it's just like all bullshit and it's like everything, it doesn't seem real and everything is shadows. Um, and so that was where the show came from, strangely. <laughs> but, but that doesn't, I, I can't say to everyone that would suggest a, a new religion show. Right. You know? So where did that aspect come well, from you for know, you? I grew up in Woodstock, which was like a sort of... Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, please go on. <laughs> You know, it's like a sort of like community of seekers. I, I was talking to my mom the other day. She reminded me like our dentist was into the Rajneesh, and I worked at the video store. And the the bot, my boss, who's probably Jewish, had changed his name to Wahid Allah, and was a, um, a Sufi, a Sufi Indian. And uh, you know, everybody, you know, there, it's just like people that they were, there were musicians. There were people seeking a new, like a more meaningful way of living life. And so I think that that experience I've always been sort of interested in. It's also, but the other thing about what Jess did in, with the pilot is even though, you know, it is, it is about this, uh, 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 this movement, we won't call it a cult, <laughs> um, but, um, but it's also about a marriage and it's about a family. And it's, and, and the, that, the the way um, that story is 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 written the the characters and the and the um, you know the interaction between the husband and the wife and his how his crisis of faith um, you know um, you know affects their marriage and um, is you know as compelling as anything else in the show and that's one of the things that sort of drew me to it, that I felt like it was, um, it made it this very, very complex, um, you know, world that, um, that Jess was writing about, and, and, and one that it wasn't, it couldn't be, you know, it couldn't be dismissed as, oh, it's a show about a cult, because when you see these characters, they're so rich and three-dimensional and, and real. Yeah. Uh, and I want to pick up uh, there when we come back, but, but Melissa, I'm curious, sort of the same question. You know, looking at the stuff you've worked on, you know, you do have stuff like Party of Five and The O.C., which, again, is this very emotion-based storytelling, and, you know, it's sort of easy to attach to. But there's also a lot of stuff where it works in metaphor or it works in genre. And, you know, I'm curious about telling a personal story in those worlds, whether it's Twilight or Dexter or, or what have you. You know, in, in every case, it's about telling a personal story. Uh, you know, it's it's from Jessica Jones to to Dexter. Uh, we're all it's very it's couched in genre or very high concept, but it's all exactly as Jason's describing. I mean, you know, his his writing is that I'm a huge fan by the way. <laughs> that you know, it really uh, uh, works over every genre. Uh, can you can you tell us a little bit about your your personal ways into some of these stories? Anything that that jumps to mind? You know, it's always about um, you know you because we've all been stuck in the writers' room staring at a blank board, and you know we all you come at story from all different places. Sometimes it's you have a plot or you know or 
it's you know coming out from sort of outside in. Yeah. But usually, what it works most for me is when I'm putting myself in the in the position of the character themselves. I'm Jessica, and I'm like, what would I actually do in this situation? Uh, because it's a, for me, that's a way of grounding it emotionally and uh, bringing my own uh, personal life to it. So we we didn't cry. <laughs> uh, only on some of the notes, but it, it, you know, it, 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 not. You know. um, but it was, uh, you know, it, it is still bringing something very personal, and, and uh, it's, it's easy to get distracted by. There has to be a fight. There has to be powers, you know. And, and ultimately, we swept all that away, and we're like, what? What is the? How is a character driving this story, rather than the story driving? The character? Yeah, and I think that's why. On all of these shows, people are really responding to them. Um, Marco, the same question. You know, when you're writing your own stuff, uh, as you know, you said you started as a playwright, you continue to write plays. You know, that's writing the thing you want to write. That obviously comes from somewhere inside you. You've worked on Fear the Walking Dead and Daredevil. Like, these, these are other people's entities in a lot of ways. So, how do you find your way into them? It's funny. I don't know that I've actually ever even thought of like what my way in is on something, um, but I do find that all, all I really need is an excuse to feel like, oh, that'll be my way in, and then once you're in, you, I mean, you're going to do it anyway. you know. <laughs> so, so I don't know that I've ever felt like, on Fear of the Walking Dead, for example, my, my kind of like pretend way in was like, oh, it's, it's, it's diverse, there's tons of Hispanic characters on it. That's, that's what gives me the right to write at this table, you know? But then ultimately it's not really about that at all. And I think on Daredevil also, I felt like, oh, I'm not blind and I don't have superpowers. Um, but he grew up, like, he's a blue-collar kid. I know that. I know what that is. And uh, he's a scholarship kid. You know, like, I, I did that. I, I get that. Um, but ultimately, that was just kind of an excuse to get to get in. And then once you're in there, yeah, that's, that's my answer. Well, and you're also, you're working in these sort of powerhouse rooms. I mean, you guys had a great room on this show. And I would imagine it all kind of takes on a life of its own at a certain point. Um, Doug, how did, how did the room work this season how was it different from the first season? You know, what, what does it look like with Doug Petrie in charge? It's pretty awesome, Ben. <laughs> um, we, um, we had a wonderful room, um, and we got to, you know, it, it's very hard to uh, follow someone else's footsteps. And Marco and I looked at each other, and we were like, we loved the year one room. And yet we changed a lot of writers, and we wanted it to have a different voice, and we wanted it to have a, a different feel. I think what was interesting um, for me, just to go back to your earlier question about how do you find your way in, we both, you know, Marco and I both uh, found our way in very fully into Matt Murdock. And I think that when you talk about, you know, you have this wide canon, you've got 50 years of storytelling and different styles. Sometimes it's a Spider-Man knockoff. Sometimes it's film noir. What, what is this guy? And we all really locked into what it was like to be Matt Murdock for different reasons. And it's the combination of blue-collar, New York, Catholic, uh, great conviction, and great conflict. And uh, one of the things Drew Goddard said early to me was, uh, it feels good to be bad. And I was like, tell me more. (laughs) And he said, look, this is a guy who you can't underestimate. He dresses up like the devil. And if you get away from your first fear is to go like, oh, my God, we have to do a devil suit that isn't awful. You know, like they're going to laugh us off the screen. Once you get past that, you're going to go, this is a Catholic who dresses as the devil and beats the shit out of people and then goes home like an alcoholic, sleeps it off, wakes up in the morning, feels awful 
awful. And then the day kind of wears on and his night approaches, he wants to do it again. You know, it's like, okay, I'm probably scaring everyone saying, we relate to that. We're like, (laughs) we know who that guy is. So we found our way in that way. And in terms of the room itself, there was a really interesting moment where uh, we had a plan uh, for 13 episodes. And they say, you know, pitch to Marvel, pitch to Netflix, what's your plan? And we go, here we are. And we were so nervous at first that we over-explained everything. It's like, we broke 13 episodes, you know. Um, and about halfway through the season, we said, okay, well, we knew, it was, like a, it was like choreography. Okay, the dance has to end over here. You know, it has to. And about halfway through the season, we looked at each other, and we looked at the writers, and said, the characters are talking to us, and they're saying, I don't go there. I go here. And at first, like, shut up, you stupid characters. You don't. And then we're like, no, actually, you guys are in charge. Like, what do you want to do? And when you have these great actors, you know, John Bernthal is the Punisher. Um, they start to inhabit it in this 3D way. And if you're really, we had a great room. They made us comfortable, and they made us comfortable enough to go back to Marvel and Netflix and say, hey, remember we said we were going to do this? Well, the characters are telling us they don't want to do that. And to our delight, they, they all went, great, follow them. And we did. That's terrific. Um, I want to jump back over here to you, Jess. Uh, is The Path the first room you are running? Yes. How was it? Um, <laughs> what did you learn from Jason that you brought to that room? I think I'm, I'm pretty much everything. Um, yeah, Jason doesn't waste any time. We eat lunch in the room. This is my favorite thing about, like, I, I had worked in some other rooms where, like, you watch YouTube video day, all day of, like, plastic surgery or something. So, and I have a child, so it was such a relief to be in a place where it was, like, people went to work at 10 and, you know, like, just really focused. You talk, and, but you get out at, you know, 6, 5, 6. So I love that. Um, uh, <laughs> that's my favorite, yeah. <laughs> I think this like sense of like deep respect for everyone in the room, collaboration. Um, yeah. How did you put the room together? Well, we, we, Jason has like you know like he he has a camp of writers. Um, so you know, it is, actually is a camp. It is a camp. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a summer camp, eight weeks if anybody's interested. <laughs> uh, so um, t- so two of the two of them came from uh, Parenthood about a boy. Um, I think that's it, right? It was a very small room. It was like four people. So, so yeah, so it was small. And then Jason, you know, like, so we would work, and then he comes in after we've, like, sort of broken an episode, and then he has some, usually, like, has some sort of great perception that opens things up for us or, you know, for stock. And um, and that's sort of how how we do it. It's very organic. That's great. Um, it's clearly it's clearly working. Um Melissa, uh, you are—you've been in the season two room for Jessica Jones for a little bit now, right? No, no. You haven't started yet. Um, well, then my question remains: okay. <laughs> uh, How were things the first year? How was the room run? Was it similar to how Dexter had been run? Do you have a room running style, and will that change this year? Um, I hate to echo everything y'all are saying, but it's exactly the same. I'm, I, I, when you come up on staffs, so you sort of had to deal with people who don't want to go home at the end, you know, and, and so they do. They mess around on, you know, with, on the line and, you know, waste three hours of your time in the room and you're sitting there the whole time going, if we're breaking story, I could get home and have a life. 
So I'm very much the same way. We're in a ten. We're out at six. You know, uh, we don't eat lunch together, but we, you know, it's it's you're an hour out, and I'm I'm very, you know, just driving that room, and um, you know, pretty intense about it, and uh, you know, hope hope that people come along, and, and it's very much about creating a safe place. There's not a lot of hierarchy, you know. It's there's one person who sort of says yay or nay, you know, which mm-hmm. would be me if I'm in there, and if I'm not, it's uh, Scott Reynolds who was my number two, um, and uh, he and I were together on Dexter for four years, so we had the exact same right. rhythms. Um, and uh, one of my best friends, Dana Barada, also uh, we did regular last year together and had a writing room together, a writers a group for 20 years, and so oh, wow. you know, yeah, I was able to hire you know, people, yeah, because we had enough lead time that I could kind of they were on other shows, and I could say, hey, you know, if you can get out of this in four months, this is listen. Unfortunately, for the season two uh, room, there's so much time between when we wrapped on Jessica Jones and now that most of them have gone and gotten jobs, and, and it's going to be really tough to to you know corral any of them back, and right. um, you know so. And I would imagine you'll you'll bring in some new people as uh-huh. happens on the second season. So what what kind of material do you read? Is there stuff that you particularly respond to? Pilots, always pilots, mm-hmm. um, always something with an edge. Um, it's funny because I've been reading a lot lately, and just network writers. People who have only done network and, and you know, haven't, you know, it's kind of going from NCIS to, you got fired off, it says bad uh, <laughs> But there's this sort of, you, you begin to kind of sense the same thing in every script, that it's, you, you could feel them holding, holding themselves back. Um, and so when you read a, a, a pilot by someone who who is you know, kind of let themselves go, as Jessica was describing when she went the path, you know it's it's like oh there's a fresh breath, there's a there's an edge, and um, it's a really uh, it, it's hard to find those things. But an agent said something to me, and a friend of mine uh, said something to me that I thought was interesting. You know, back when I was coming up, I wrote I spec'd existing shows, you know, Picket Fences or Sopranos or whatever it was. I don't read existing specs. I don't know if you guys do, but I pretty much read, you know, pilots. And what's true is that some people, you know, a pilot is a, is a very difficult thing to write. It, 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 you have to get the structure right and the care, all this sort of stuff. It's not necessarily a great indicator that they're going to be able to imitate my voice or, or you know, do something collectively. And, and, and you know, so it's. I'm still going to only read pilots, but <laughs> well, that, that's an interesting I would thing. I actually think about reading. Uh, but I mean, when I spec the, the Sopranos, my career had a lull one point. I spec the Sopranos, and I was, you know, people have great response. But I'm like, well, yeah, because I'm writing the Sopranos. I mean, I didn't come up with those characters. All you know, all I have to do is not make them like sound. I, all I have to do is to make them sound sort of like they are, and I'm writing off David Chase's work. But yeah, but there is, I mean, people can smell those false notes even in a spec of an existing show. I mean, I think that you can separate quality from, from not quality. I guess. I, uh, I, but I think I, it is clearer with a pilot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's interesting to hear. Uh, Jason, you've staffed a whole bunch of rooms, and they're full of great people. Uh, we've had a bunch of them on the, on the podcast in the past. Uh, again, what do you look for? What kind of stuff do you tend to respond to? What do you read, and what do you expect in the, the sit-down with them? Well, uh, I'm a very slow reader, so short things are good. <laughs> things are short. I'm actually only, I'm not really kidding. Um, <clears throat> um, um, 
I really um, do. It's it's a combination. Like you're looking for that. Um, you're looking for a voice that comes out, and whether that's in a pilot or. I actually really like reading plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, um, you're looking for, and and sometimes you see it in a in a in a spec. It's like you're looking for a voice that comes out, and there's really no, you know, sometimes there's like no way to describe exactly why it is that sometimes it, you know, the writing pops off the page and is alive, and sometimes it isn't. I don't really, after doing this all this time, I don't really understand why some. You know why sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't, but you're looking for that. You're looking for something that pops off the page. And in 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 terms of like interviewing and sitting with people and, and talking to them, you know, I I really believe that if you um, really listen carefully to what people are saying and 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 in that they'll tell you everything in that in mm-hmm. in the interview and in the meeting, they'll tell you everything about. That, about you know who they are as writers and as people, it is as important of who who they are as a person as who they are as a writer, because you're writing in in this communal setting, and for me the writer's room is is um, you know a place where um, you know everybody has to you know everybody has to sort of fit in as part of the group. If there's one person that that's there that doesn't really share a sensibility or share the same vision or share the same understanding of the material that you are wanting to get across and they're not on board with it, you feel that. You feel that every single second. Um, and also, you know, you just need to, you want to have a, you know, like, uh, it's it's like you spend a lot of time with these people. So then what is people that you want to be in a room with, you know, um, you want to, uh, and, um, you know, so it's, um you know, um, and I, I, I also the the other thing about all the rooms, including the path that that I'm very, um, you know, that's really really important to me. And you sort of brought it up where you said it's not like a hierarchical um, 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 thing, and, and I feel that way about rooms. It's like really important that you know, there's always levels of writers of like there's this is the co-exec, this is the baby writer, whatever. But when you get in the room, you don't want to um, be feeling that that much. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be feeling that that much, and you don't want to set up a environment where that's felt. You know, because it's sort of like somebody who is coming to uh, a room fresh, who hasn't been on many shows, and 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 has uh, you know ha- has as much to offer as you know somebody who's been doing it for a long time. So um, you know, it's about finding a group of people who you feel are going to also work together. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's yeah. like. That's that's an important part of the two. For sure. Um, I want to ask, uh, starting down here with Doug, and I'm, I kind of just want to come down the line and ask you, and we may have talked about this in the past, but I'd be curious to hear now a few years since we last had you on the show. Um, what do you bring to the room? What do you bring to the table as a writer? What do you think the other people on staff would say that you bring? What are your strengths? I know you want to talk about your weaknesses, but what are your strengths? <laughs> He didn't want to talk about his weaknesses. Yeah. I was going to say, you should answer that, and I should say what Marco brings to the room. Um, That's next. That's the next round. It's like the newlywed game. Um, There was a show called the newlywed game. (laughs) I bring the wisdom of the ages, apparently. I bring... um, I I think what what I bring... uh, to the room is it's kind of Jason in in accordance with what you're saying is that 
I have no ability to evaluate, you know, my, my dramaturgical strengths and weaknesses. I have a sense of, yeah, I know how a story is built and I know how dialogue is written and, and, and what would be cool, you know, what I would want to see and what, if I really love it and want to see it, other people will too. So I have a sense of that. But I think the most important thing, especially this past year where we were kind of brought up to this, this leadership level is, um, you, you really need to love your show and on not necessarily on, on the current project, but historically, I would say that some days it's really easy to love your show and some days it's really hard. And what I have to do is, is remind everyone in the room, you're awesome. This is awesome. And instead of coming in and going, Oh man, this is what I have to do. It's like, this is what I get to do today. So just try to remember what you loved in the first place about TV and, you know, what was that show that you watched? Almost always it's when you're a teenager. Almost always it's like when you're around 14 years old, you see something that just blows your mind and you go, I got to do that. And so I think what I can do is remind people when things get tough, either you're burnt out or you don't have an idea or you're facing the blank board, as we all know, or whatever it is, and to go, guys, this is going to be so fucking awesome. This is going to be so great. And you're so awesome. And if you fake it, they know, you know, but I don't really fake it. I'm like, no, this is actually true. Like, you guys are great writers. We have this opportunity. Let's ride. I think I do have to give a shout out to Joss Whedon on that because, you know, Buffy, we never felt that it was a TV show. It was always this mission, and we would come in on Sundays, and we were happy to do it, and we just killed ourselves to make it, you know, the show that we wanted to watch. And that was a great place to start, you know? So um, I think that's what I bring is... Was 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 that easy to recapture uh, on this show? Yeah. It, It seems like it was. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that you kind of it's hard for a million reasons. Doing anything well is incredibly hard for a million reasons. And when this was hard, we would just kind of go, dude, it's, what do you want to see? You want Matt Murdock on a motorcycle? And it's like, but he's blind. He can't be on a motorcycle. He's daredevil. He can be on a motorcycle. Let's put him on a motorcycle. Let's put throw the motorcycle off a cliff. It'll be awesome. Right. And not in the show. Yeah. <laughs> Season three. <laughs> um, so there's, you know, there's stuff like that. And I think more, you know, I'm, I'm using, you know, an obviously uh, a juvenile example of like, put him on a motorcycle and send him off a cliff, which by the way, I really want to see. Um, but, you know, emotionally too, you could do that. It's like, okay, how can we have these guys break each other's hearts? And how do we, and, and also reminding people in, in, in the spirit of this is the canon that we're working with. And, you know, to underline something Marco said, you go, guys, this is our run of the show. Like we get to do what we want. What do you really want? You know, and and I think when people are asked that and invited to come up with an answer to that, I've never seen a writer not rise to that because it's fun. That's really cool. So, uh, Marco, same question. What what do you are your what are your particular strengths in the room on the page? Whatever you actually feel like talking about. <laughs> Just talking about. It. Um, I I feel I hope it's cool that I answer your question by kind of dismantling the question. One hundred percent. Because I, I do feel like, and this is now we've you know staffed. This is the, the first room we ever staffed was Daredevil season two, and and did that, and it was the first time for me at least on the other side of that table. Um, 
But what was what was cool to learn for me was that you can't staffing a room is not like staffing a baseball team. You can't you can't choose the guy who you know is going to be your pitcher and the catcher and the first baseman. It's actually nothing like that, and and you actually won't know what everyone's use is going to be in the room until they're all there at the same time. Um, so. So that's thing one. Um, I I would say I, I and and maybe one of my strengths as a writer is knowing that and and always kind of being able to lean back and say where okay how can I be helpful in this room right now what 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 do we need here what do I need to pick up um, and and I'm not good at everything but like basically what what do we need to go work extra hard at because that's what this room needs right now um, that's great so that would be my answer so hire me. No. <laughs> 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 Um, Melissa, I think uh, you know. Really echoing what Doug was talking about, of um, it's so much of it's the train just has to keep moving, whatever idea it is, and it's. I think it's one of the biggest challenges for uh, writers, and one of the part of the craft. That's one of the hardest things to learn is to follow the bouncing ball. You know, because you've got seven people or however many in a room, and now the, the ideas are going like this, and we're going, okay, we're. You know, the, the dog's going to end up in, in East LA, and that's what, and here's a good. And then we're like, three seconds later, it's a cat in Long Beach, and you know, if you can't navigate all that over there, you're, you're pitching on the dog in East LA, and we're like, you know, so you're as a as a room runner, you're you're constantly just like trying to you know keep things like, keep it. Let's go, let's get on train. We got these ideas, we and then like somebody comes along and goes, swats it off the track, you know. Dominique LA. and I think that's, that's part, it's, it's exhausting. And so you really, you're because you're the one who's basically, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing. And I think there's not a lot of room for negativity. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, walking into a room and going, oh, I'm so fucked. I just hate everybody and I hate everything. And just tell me why. Here's all the reason why that idea doesn't work. You know, and it's just, it's, it's, uh, you know, you, you don't, you can't really do that. I mean, I think a lot of people do, and I've certainly been in the rooms where, where that has happened, and uh, it's not really fun as a staff writer, but, um, you know, I think that is, it is, it is, I'm just really basically saying what Doug said, but in different words, <laughs> with cats and dogs. <laughs> but, uh, you made me understand it. I appreciate uh, it. <laughs> uh, so I think that's, you yep. know, a huge part of it, but. Uh, For sure. No, that's, that's a good answer. Jessica. Um, well, I, I guess, you know, having faith that if, if it's, that it'll come, that it'll happen. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, Jason, I remember talking to you like last year early on when I was first starting, and you, you said to me, uh, if, if, if there's an idea that you don't like and you just feel in your heart that you don't like it, just, just stop it. Because like, there's a lot of rooms where you go down a road of an idea for a really long time, and, and there, but there's some little voice. You know, it's just like, get, you know, just don't go down the road. And that was, that's, that, I really think that was smart. Yeah, that's cool. Jason. You just stole my thing. No. <laughs> Did you? Is that something you had to learn? Did yes, that, was that yes. difficult to learn? Yes, that was really hard to learn. I learned that uh, a lot when we were starting the room of on Parenthood in the first season, and we were going into the fourth season of Friday Night Lights. Mm-hmm. So I had two rooms going at once, yeah. and they were literally two rooms that were about thirty feet away from each other in the same building and I would go from one room to the first day of doing that was the worst day of my life it felt like I was you know a, a cheating husband I just would go into one room and 
they'd all be, and they'd all, and the writers would just give me shit about it, you know, the whole time. Um, But I, but that, you know, kind of taught me this lesson. Like I realized I'm not going to be able to be there, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm by by definition I have to be moving back and forth between these rooms. So I'm going to come, you know, I'm going to be back, you know, I'm going to go there and be back three hours later. And um, so that idea of, you know, being able to say to, 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 to you know, to not, to, to, to have that kind of clarity mm-hmm. was something that I really learned was important there. Like you had to do it in this very, um, I had to do it in this very, um, a, a different kind of way than I would normally do it. Mm-hmm. But I think that that idea of bringing clarity to the room is, is the... Um, thing that not only for for uh, being in a writer's room but as a showrunner, I think that's the single most important thing to do as a showrunner is have is is you know like everywhere across the board with whether it's with the 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 directors or editors and the the writers and everybody else is because people want that, you know? Like you realize it's like when I first started like when when I you know, doing that more um, you know, being in a room and say just saying like, you know, I'm, we're, you know, I don't think we're going to tell that story. It's so unlike me. Like I'm just always like wanting to just say yes, yeah, okay, and and you know let and hope that it goes away, <laughs> you know. But um, <laughs> but you know, like when I started doing that, like I realized that um, you know I was I was afraid of like sort of coming off like an asshole, you know. And I realized that writers really appreciated that so much, you know, because yeah. really your job is to steer the ship. And, you know, um, it is, you know, I really love having this sort of, you know, like, like the room being a democracy and everybody sort of, you know, they're sort of being equality. But somebody has to be guiding it. Otherwise, um, you know, there's, you know, it's just, it wastes a lot of people ener- people's energy. And so there are people I think really appreciate once you come in and you sort of are able to say... Uh, what you want and what you don't want, and and uh, and it's also okay sometimes that that has to you have to discover that. Mm-hmm. So it's okay sometimes that you don't know, and that's another really important thing to be able to do in a room is to just be be honest and just say we don't I don't know yet whether it's going to be this or that, and let's keep exploring it. Yeah. Well, it's such an odd job in that way, right? That you have to have this clarity of vision, but also be open to all of your collaborators if you're going to be good at it. Right. You right. Know? Uh, was this, I mean, this has to be a tough thing to learn, although you guys have all been in rooms, you've all kind of come up in rooms, so you've seen this done successfully and probably unsuccessfully. Yeah, and if I could just, here's, here's my thought on it in a way, is it, there's a difference between, and I say this having been the staff writer who's the receiving end of the, the swat away, you know? Uh-huh. There's a, it's great to hear that idea is not great for this show. Mm-hmm. It's horrible to hear that idea is not great. You know, so, so just being able to say, go write the shit out of that idea in a pilot on your off time, like, but not, not here right now, but it's not, you're not insulting the person as a writer. And I think my first couple of years as a writer, I would take, I would take any note like that, like, oh, fuck, I, it's just, it's an awful idea. I'm an awful writer. I'm horrible. This is, let's just like go back and beat myself up. But the difference is just in, in, in that early swat away is just saying like, not here, not today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great lesson. Um, speaking of all of the rooms you guys have been in, uh, can we talk about room behavior? What are what are things that we should do as writers on staff 
uh, to be helpful to our showrunners? And what are things that you guys have seen or maybe done that we should not do? Never microwave fish. <laughs> Good lesson. I'm sure it was great last night. <laughs> Don't. It's a good rule for, for life, I think. <laughs> I was actually listening to, to what you all were saying. and, and uh, First of all, my book is going to be Here's What Ought to Do in Hollywood because I've done all everything wrong <laughs> like, for 20 years. And um, But one of the things that I, I noticed about myself and I noticed it about young, young writers or people who are new to it is uh, you know in the, in the beginning I was very um, I'd be very attached to an idea, you know like I'd pitch something and it wouldn't necessarily fly and I'd sort of argue it, and I've come to realize the reason I'm to argue it so much is because I didn't have the experience uh, of I didn't have the confidence that another idea would come along, you know, and so the first half of my career was spent a lot of time clinging to ideas for fear that it was the only one I'd get. And I see that a lot with young writers coming in, uh, you know, who, who uh, do the same uh, same thing. Mm-hmm. I'm much more irritated by it because it reminds me of myself. But, um, you know, now after, Jesus, a very long time in business, I now kind of kind of believe that there probably will be another idea. So, uh, but it, it is so freeing, you know, it's like... Uh, but I think that is probably a, a one, of the, one of the things I would recommend. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. How, so how do you, as the showrunner, help your younger writers or newer writers get past holding on to their ideas? I think the same way Jason and Marco are talking about, sort of gently get them off, although half the time I'm, I'm just like, no! <laughs> Back the fuck off! Uh, I, that's I, a good way to. Yeah, we have a squirt bottle, like with cats. We just get, no, no, we're not, yeah, we're not doing the dance hall scene, just, you know. Uh, what, what other uh, room behavior, what else can you tell us about good things to do in the room, things not to do in the room, that you've either seen or experienced or it, done yourself? It, it's weirdly like six people ordering one pizza. Sometimes it's kind of like what, what, it, what a TV writer's room is. Yeah. And so in, in what Mel's saying now, it, it actually feels like, okay, we've agreed, we're six people ordering a pizza, and we're, it's, this goes back to your dog and cat analogy. I'll now make it about a pizza because I'm hungry. So, and because Moss is next door. The, um, it's, if, it's, if it's six people ordering a pizza, then the thing that's not helpful is to be the one who half an hour into, like, we're almost close to getting the pizza right. Someone says, what if we go Chinese? Like, that's, that's hardly ever helpful. Um, unless it is, which is then like the, the trick. It's like if you can tell there's like people sweating and there's blood coming out of people's ears and pizza's not the way to go. Sometimes it's great and heroic to be the guy who slides in and says, what if Chinese? Um, it's kind of just like about picking up social cues in a yeah, way. Absolutely. Which is a hard thing to learn for a lot of people, I think. I think to me, we have a rule of, uh, we've never, I think, stated it in the room, but like picture get off the mound. Where you can shoot down. Hello. Um, I I think if you're going to shoot down an idea, like totally cool, but say I don't want to see that. I want to see this, but because we've all seen the writers and sometimes been the writers where you're just going, "Eh, I don't like that. I don't like that. It's like okay, and very much in the spirit of what Melissa's saying, it's like we actually have to make this thing now. So we got to do something, and we're going to. I think the more you trust yourself and the, you trust your showrunners, the better. But if you're going to shoot stuff down, like, what would you like to say? Yeah, that's good advice. Um, all right, I, I have a bunch of uh, sort of short answer questions. But, and while we do those, if you guys have questions, why don't you come line up 
right here in this, this little alleyway by the couch. Um, take your time. Be quiet about it. I have some questions. Uh, Doug mentioned the seeing the thing at you know, 14 years old that gets you excited to make things. Uh, do each of you have that thing, some, some, something that you saw or read that struck you as this is a thing that was made and that's a thing, that's a world I want to be in? Do you remember that what that lightning bolt was for you? Oh, God, I think uh, there are a few, there are a few really significant things that changed me and made me want to do this. Uh, one was uh, Annie Hall was a, something that really like I saw that and really uh, you know both changed you know it you know it made it changed my life you know really changed me and I felt like it, it was so inspiring. And the other was I saw a play when I was in college. It was uh, True West, a Sam Shepard play, and it was, a, it was in a small theater in Greenwich Village, and John Malkovich and Gary Sinise were playing the lead roles, and it, it made me, uh, it, it was like just, just life-changing. What was it about it? You know, I think there was some, there was a incre- an incredible, uh, um, Freedom and wildness in John Malkovich and his performance that was just such a kind of you know turn on and made me feel like wow this is just what the the possibilities of what you could do in writing for at that time for me it was theater but ultimately you know not that different for in, in, in television. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to hear. I mean, I think we really know you as. A writer who writes for actors particularly well, um, do, do you think that is part of that? I mean, is it the theater background that led to that? I, I know maybe it is. I just I feel like when I, I wanted to be a writer and I started writing in college, I wrote short stories. And, um, and then when I first took a playwriting class, it clicked because I felt like I realized, oh, even everything that I had written before was so much about the characters' voices, mm-hmm. and that was just for whatever reason um, the thing that I, I, the you know, my the way that I was telling stories anyway, and I, I did feel like that was um, that's you know it gets me excited, it gets me excited to think about you know characters and and you know and and also like kind of the. Um, Explosion that happens when you put two people together in a room, and what happens, with, what can happen. Uh, Jess, was the, do you remember the lightning bolt for you as a young consumer of media? Um, I, I, I'm sure I had many. Like, I, w- I was a big reader. I wanted to be a novelist, and I do remember. This is so nerdy, but um, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> I, I read. I think I was in eighth grade and I read Crime and Punishment and I couldn't stop. Like I like was like reading it under my desk in class. I, so I was like gripped by that book. And then it was later I had a play that that I saw. It was it was a Carol Churchill play, Mad Force, and that was when I I wanted to write people talking to each other because and also I realized like oh there was like a person playing a dog. And that was so exciting, like that you could do this on stage. So that's cool. That's great, Melissa. Um, I um, fell in love with dance at a very young age, and and then realized what I wanted to actually do was choreograph, which is 
basically telling stories visually. Yeah. And then uh, just was never going to be good enough to merit starving in, in New York City. So came out, knew something. You know, Hollywood was kind of probably going to be in the performing arts somewhat. And so, uh, and, and there was just, I, I worked for a producer who uh, had a show. And I was, saw that shows were written. It never kind of occurred to me that, you know, yeah. oh, that's a job. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, you know, it was such a, that was an earlier golden age of television where, you know, you have 30-something, My Soul Home Life, Hill Street Blues, Picket Fences, you know, these really just great character-driven shows. And um, so that, that kind of all came together in this idea of, yeah, that's really cool. And it, and it seems like it came together in a very practical way. That, like, this is something you can do. You saw it being done. Well, anyone who thinks going into writing uh, is practical is, you know, uh, crazy, which is, thank God, because, you know, it's a great job. <laughs> Marco. Uh, I've had a little while to think about this now. Um, I think uh, as a kid, I used to sneak episodes of The X-Files, and that kind of changed my life. Sure. Um, my parents didn't like that I was watching it, but <laughs> I, I did. And uh, so that's one. And then I think on the theatrical side, I was, I believe, in the seventh grade, and there was like a touring company that was doing uh, Dante's Inferno, and I think Reggie Caffey was even in the company. And he, uh, there, he, there was a scene where somebody was like eating a watermelon, and it was supposed to be someone's face. And everyone was kind of laughing at the at the theatricality of it, and I was I was loving it. I was like, oh my god, that's a face, though. You guys don't get it. And there, I think theater was kind of in my brain forever. That's really neat. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think there were science fiction. You know, when I was first exposed to it, especially mind blowing science fiction. Um, it's too complicated to describe, but sitting on the edge of forever is an episode of Star Trek that has the best ending I've ever seen. And as a kid, I was like, that's tragic, you know? And it's like, that was supposed to be fun. And it was tragic, and it was meaningful, and it was beautiful, and I was sobbing, and, and yet elated at the same time. And that was a feeling I'd never had before. And then the other things were, literally, when we talked about this a little bit in the office, uh, with the new Star Wars movie, it was like, yeah, but I'm a little older. I saw the opening shot as it unfolded, and kept unfolding, and kept unfolding. And you're like, you can do anything. You know, and that really blew my mind. But I think in terms of just pure art, like when you're talking about reading a great book, um, I remember being, uh, you know, pre-pubescent and getting a hold of the Beatles' White Album and listening to that, and just everything changed because I was like, this isn't like a rock and roll record. This is like a mansion that you can walk into and explore all the rooms and then you walk out again and you're different and then later on you go back in and the whole place is different again and that's going on to this day I think that that's an eternally you know, fresh piece of art so I think the combination of and two, Marvel Comics which were also really mind-blowing and emotional so when things would combine the action that you loved as a kid with emotions you weren't ready for um, that's, that's when I got hooked that's really cool uh, yeah, I think even as you make your way through, it's important to find things that you respond to emotionally. I find, you know, it keeps you going in a lot of ways. We'll get to that later. Um, all right, one minute. <laughs> I have another question. We're coming up on staffing season. What can we do to prepare ourselves as uh, young writers for staffing season? You guys have all put together staffs, and you've been on the other side. You've been staffed. (laughs) 
I mean, I think it has to do with, with uh, nobody, wants this. <laughs> nobody wants this question. Uh, you know, what you have to do is come up with a great piece of writing, a great thing that's going to feel like it is coming from you, that's deeply personal, that is, um, you know, something that's going to, you know, get you in the door. And, and, and um, um, I think it really, you know, you know, I think it really begins with that. I think it's like when, when, and it doesn't have to be a spec script. It doesn't have to be a pilot. You know, it, it could be a short story. It could be a play. It could be my, I got my break intelligent on a play that I wrote that was a 10-minute uh, play. And um, I remember there, meeting early on with a producer, and I, you know, I, and he read that play, and 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 I I had and and you know I had this meeting with him, and after the meeting, I, I said to him, look, I have, you know, I want to send you more stuff. I have this play, I have that play, I have that play. And he said, see that stack on my desk? His desk was filled with scripts all the way up, you know, from this thing. And he said. The reason why I read your thing was it was the thinnest, <laughs> and I liked it. So now, don't send me anything else because you can only go down in my estimation. I like your writing. Don't send me. Anything. But um, I'm, I keep emphasizing short, short stuff, short sure. plays. I do. I, you know, I'm yeah. a slow reader. But um, you know, but I think I think getting that piece that sort of gets people excited and talking about it. Um, to me, what staffing is. What, 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 I mean, I, I will say one thing that is really um, um, important in, in terms of staffing is because um, there's so many people out there and there's, so, there's like, you know, you're usually, um, you know, only looking for a couple of people. I mean, it's been established I have a camp, so I already <laughs> have the people. But you're only looking for a couple of new people. So, um, you know... Um, you know, oh, one thing that that's really um, helped is helpful. I think is when you hear fr- about somebody from different sources. You know, um, it, it wi- you know the winds up sort of feeling like things, you know, kind of converge that way. So um, I think that's an important thing too, and it also has to do with sort of feeling like if something is making the rounds, if you write something that's sort of making the rounds, and you know. Uh, uh, and and a lot of people are noticing it. Mm. You wind up getting emails and calls and all that stuff, and you sort of you do take notice. Oh, that's all good stuff. So it wasn't so hard to answer. <laughs> do you want to do you want to add anything, Marco? No. I, I would I would add also like if you're coming around for a second season of staffing or something, just a new a new piece of material is always really helpful. So don't expect to play the lottery again with the same card. As, you know, just even if it's even if it's a six page short story or a, anything, it's exactly what was just said here. I mean, I think great the writers on season one of, of uh, Daredevil was hired off of a seven page short story. Really? And, yeah. And, oh, interesting. And, and it worked out for him. Oh, nice. Um, all right, I have more questions, but let's get to you guys. It's kind of a weird question, but it's, it's in regards to staffing. When it comes to getting your assistance, let's say somebody came from features as a writer and they got an opportunity on a staff, but they kind of botched it because they weren't experienced, right? <laughs> and so this person is tr- really wants to transition to television, is going as an assistant, thank you, by the way, is going as an assistant the right route? Or would that person be better off trying to staff? Because if I were to send a resume, it wouldn't really look... Do you know, you guys... Yeah, yeah, yeah. let me... That seems like a very specific question. <laughs> actually, I was, I was Go actually going to uh, 
volunteer this when you guys are talking about, which is uh, that what's what's true for me, I, I, it's not true for uh, uh, you know most people I know, but I won't hire, uh, I won't bring anyone on staff who hasn't been in a room for two years. Um, and that is you, you know, a writer's assistant in a room for two years, uh, at least. Um, I just, you know, I've, I've really gotten uh, people who've never, it's such a craft being in the room and knowing how to, how to do that. But, um, so what wasn't true necessarily when I was coming up, but is very much true right now, is there is a direct path. You know, you start as a PA, make sure you're in the writer's office, is not necessarily a production. And then you become, you know, you, you prove yourself there as the guy everyone goes to for absolutely everything. And then you, you know, probably get the job as an assistant to the writers or an assistant to the executive producer. And you're, and that's year two. And in year three, you're a writer's assistant because you're filling in for the, you know, and you're there for a couple of years. And then do you have that kind of time <laughs> before April? I mean, some people do it faster, but um, it's to me that is uh, the most direct uh, route up. Well, and, and by the time you're in the room, you've had that experience, you know, right? You've learned I, your stuff. Like yourself, I, uh, my first gig, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, right. and I got fired. And I got fired a lot coming up, but <laughs> um, you know, had I come up that way, I would have had a much better shot at, at knowing what I was doing. We should also point out, and, and I've known some of your assistants, but like even those assistant jobs have become very competitive. Extremely hard to get. Yeah. yeah. I think what I would say is that if there's a way for you to get into the room, get into the room. You know, don't don't worry about I'm an assistant, but I want to be writing or anything like that. Just it is so competitive now and you can learn so much that if you're given an assistant job, just be an awesome assistant and continue to write the things that you love as you're going. And that'll open more things for you, I think. What kind of differences do you feel as writers working on streaming services versus broadcast television? Mm -hmm. All right. You're all streaming. (laughs) Are, are there differences? All of you guys have worked in both, uh, you know, network and cable and streaming. Now, uh, are there differences in storytelling? I love streaming, um, mostly because you don't have the, you, because you get lost in the middle. And because when you're creating the season, it's like nobody's seen episode four. And it's not like, oh, you, you know, that little kid who was, you know, the little urchin by the garbage cans that, you know, give us more of her, you know, and it's like, what? What, what the fuck? Um, actually, we should write that down. That's pretty good. Um, yeah, next to the motorcycle. Put her on the motorcycle. It's, it writes itself is the point here. You can only get away with that on Netflix. Yeah. Um, you don't know what the audience reaction is at all, and that is terrifying, but it's also very liberating where you're really doing your own thing, and it's like we're going to see this through the way we wanted to see it through, and we weren't you know, beholden to focus groups or audience or anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, has this been the experience for the rest of you? Is there stuff that you found freeing about, you know, this non-commercial break sort of writing? Well, one of the things that things that was <clears throat> unique uh, with doing the path, um, which I, I never had this experience before, was you know they gave us a straight to series, mm-hmm. so we did ten episodes, and the experience of being able to be in the room and break all of the episodes before we shot anything was one of the most, you know, just mind-blowing experiences for somebody who's been doing, 
you know, network yeah. television for all these years, and and to be, to watch how Jess was able to sort of like we'd be on you know breaking episode six and seven and eight, and we and and all these revelations came up about episodes you know two and three and four. <laughs> And we were able, and one, and you know, we were able to I mean, make changes in the, to the pilot, yeah. which you know you never are able to yeah, do because the first thing you do is shoot a pilot. <laughs> so um, that having the experience of, of of doing that, you sort of knew so much when you were going in and starting to shoot about where every where you know all these characters were going, mm-hmm. and you know, and 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 li- like literally just ha- being able to answer production questions about how many episodes you would need the set for and all those types of things. But that was really an an amazing uh, difference from anything I'd ever done. For a lot of these... I was just going to say, I feel like you can layer so much more deeply by having that luxury of being able to go back. Yeah, that's true. Uh, For a lot of these, um, you know, you'll usually, from from what I've heard talking to people, you'll get six or seven scripts before you even start production, does that make it hard to course correct during production? No? All right. Well, I'll shut the fuck up, then. <laughs> Will any of these streaming shows come out in fi- any sort of physical meeting? That's a Netflix question. I think I, mean, I think I was on Orange, and I think Orange stuff came out like on DVD, maybe in other countries. I don't know. Maybe it was like, no, nah, like on DVD with more shower sex or something, but I don't know. <laughs> that sums up that show. <laughs> You shut your mouth. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Jeremy, and I was wondering what's it like coming up with ideas when you're writing by yourself versus when you're writing with the writer's room? I had the I had the uh, experience of uh, going from uh, TV to features and d- doing both at the same time. I was on Dexter while I was writing the first several Twilights and. Um, you know, weekends on Twilight and during the week on Dexter and, and that went on for a number of years and it's been a nice, what's nice about it is, uh, you know, it features you, it's just you and you're all alone in that room and you know, after uh, even the best of rooms uh, there's it's just it's constant interpersonal politics you know, you're always, always having to be, you know, aware of, you have to deal with people. And the, the best and the worst of every single person in that room is going to come out, and, and you're going to hate everyone at least once an hour, maybe a day. I mean, it's just that's the way it is when you're in that kind of intense sort of situation. So being able to go away and just be alone in a room is great. Then you get to the, you're alone in the room is great, and it's like, I have no, I don't know what to do here. I want to run down to my room and just like bounce around ideas. And, but you're all alone. And it's, you know, so it's, there are pluses and minuses to both for me. Um, my question's for the Parenthood writers. So a lot of your stories are obviously very personal. The characters are very relatable. How do you deal with making sure that the people those stories are based on don't hate you? In my case, they all hate me. <laughs> But you did touch on this, that oftentimes very personal stories come out, and that, that can become a, a tricky proposition. No, it's very, it's, you know, it is tricky. Um, there were times when I was, uh, when I was been sitting with my wife watching the show, and we'll be we're looking at it, and then she'll, a scene will come on, and she'll just turn to me like, seriously, that too? Uh, um, but you know, usually in most cases, there are a couple of, with a couple of exceptions where it was really, really close to home and also sort of 
publicly talked about. But in most cases, the the um, by the time the stories you know get on film, they're so they're so they're they're different. Mm-hmm. They're sort of different enough, you know. Yeah. But I've also felt that way my whole you know career of writing. Like there's so many times I was so I'm so surprised that people don't you know um, you know think I'm you know but don't think that I'm just stealing from them or oh this is Using about them. them you know um, you know there's a lot of times that people don't recognize it because they I, I think you know they you know they you know you don't always just kind of make that connection I think yeah. what is the best way to ask someone to read your material without sounding like an obnoxious burden <laughs> definitely do it at a panel <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so a, this, this is a good question. There's a great article. I don't know if you. I've, it was going around for a yeah. long time. It's called. It, it's you'll fall behind on the lines, but I'm not going to read your fucking script. And it's it it tell you read. Yeah, it, it's uh, it actually will answer that question for you uh, because it's about you know uh, I forget what it's about, but I remember the loving one. <laughs> I, I did have an experience last year where it's it's very hard to read scripts, um, but I had two people ask me to read their script, and one um, uh, sent a, a, a truly obnoxious email saying, it's time for you to read my script. And I was like, no, it's time to delete this email. Um, and It was weird, because ended up working together. I know, I know. It turned out to be great. I was kind of embarrassed. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's like that, as you can see. Um, and then the other was, was someone who I worked with who was um, uh, kind of an assistant position. And what she did was um, uh, we became genuine friends. And she was very humble and kind of like, I hate to... Actually, I brought it up. I said, she said, I'm working on a script. She did not ask me to read it. And I said, I would like to help you with that. And her script was quite good. It was a comedy that was moving and funny. So I think the thing is, you 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 don't ask because it just one hundred percent of the time puts the person on the other end in an awkward position. What you do is you befriend them and you work with them and you and you you, you work hard and you be awesome and let them volunteer to go like, hey, I would like to read your script, which is a longer road, but it works. Yeah. And when, when, by the way, you, you do get someone to read, just make sure there are no typos in your script. I will throw it in the garbage can if there's a typo on the first page. And it's got to be the best version, right? It's not the one where you say, I still need to work on this, right? You get one shot. You ask one person one time, and that's it. Yeah. Uh, hi, I'm Kyle, and I'm wondering, when you're writing about something that you don't have any personal experience with, What's the balance between doing physical research about that subject versus taking a fictitious liberty with that? <laughs> I, I've never, you know, everyone's always saying, write what you know. And, I mean, the beauty about what we do is we can find out. I mean, what someone does is so secondary to who they are. That if you're, uh, you know, in, if you get more sense of who they are as, a, as a people, then what they do, you can find out, particularly now. I mean, you know, we've all, uh, you know, 
I mean, I do have superpowers. <laughs> but Easy for you. Yeah, we've got to figure that one out. But, um, you know, we've all written legal or medical or, or uh, you know, people doing different things. So. Um, all right, let me ask you guys. We have a little time left. Um, was there, years ago on, on this podcast, um, someone brought up the magic script. Uh, and Jason, you had mentioned this script that was sort of the breakthrough for you that someone responded to. Did each of you have this experience with a sort of script that was the one that finally broke through? And what was it about that? What were the circumstances uh, of that? Uh, anyone who wants to jump in? I'll, you no, you, no, no, Marco, no, you just. <laughs> You know, I, 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 I well, thanks, Marco. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I think that, like, for me, because I was a playwright and then I decided I, I moved out here and I, I wanted to write TV and film, or I want to write film first. And uh, I think for a long time I tried to write a film that I thought was a film, you know, and, you know, and that was the biggest mistake. And luckily I had this agent and he kept saying, it's, no, it's not you enough. And then sometimes when it was too me, then it had no structure. So it's like finding that perfect mix of like what's you that's in that's in that has some structure. And when that happened, it was it was very exciting. What what was it? I wrote a little movie called Upstate, and I remember because I'd written like a few movies before, and, and luckily I I feel very lucky that I had an agent who said who would say no, I'm not gonna, it's not ready, and I would be like I'm leaving. I hate him. He hates me. No, but the truth was he did me an enormous favor and from that movie I got to write a Pete Berg movie you know like it was like you know that movie never got made but but it it like he was absolutely right so it was like finding the mix of like my voice that also had the like sort of like authority that I knew how to write a screenplay yeah that's a great way to put it Marco uh, yeah, I would just say, yes, there's there's the one, I, I wrote a play that then became the thing that my agent sent out, and it was a play about a heavy metal band in New Jersey, and uh, that was like seven years ago now I wrote it, and it's weird because they still send it out as my sample, so whenever I have a meeting, people want to talk about that that play, and to me it feels like they're looking at my school pictures, which is really strange. Um, what do you think it is about that play? That it, that I don't know, I, it I think it's similar to, to how Jess was talking about writing the, her pilot, which is fantastic. Her pilot is amazing, and it's wonderful, and you should all watch it. Um, but similar to that I just felt like okay fine fuck it I'm going to write the most me thing possible and they don't have to produce it they just have to read it and know who I am and that's really it was it um, how much how many complete plays had you written before that I've written a bunch of short plays. I got into grad school on short plays. Okay. Um, and I still think, well, I also should add, I think they send, my agent send my full-length play and then the short play on top of it. And I'm pretty sure 80% of the meetings I've had, they've only read the first one and they know the title of the second one. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd written many short plays, but it was my very first full-length play. No kidding. Yeah. Wow. But you would put in the word. I mean, this is something that comes up very often, obviously, is like all of the writing you do before you start to get paid to write things. Um, but let's talk about that breakthrough. Doug, what was yours? Well, it, it, there were scripts that got me jobs. There was one script that got me my wife, actually. She read a script of mine before we met. And the story goes, she went to her boss and said, tell me he's available to be hired and tell me he's single. <laughs> and that worked out great. Um, but I think for me, it was, it was a, the only production that came out of this was a, was a kind of actor's work piece at, uh, at a small theater on 42nd Street in New York City. And it was one night, but it was, uh, 
you know, we all have experience with, with, with magic, you know. And I remember, you know, forgive me for being, you know, nostalgic, but it was, it was being in the New York City Public Library, being broke, walking into this, this beautiful edifice, you know. It's like, hey, the, the, the Ghostbusters work here. This is a great place. And it was covered in snow, and you just knew, you know, I had this yellow notepad, and I was broke, and I was much younger, and I was like, something is happening. Like, something is happening. And I went into the, you know, the Great Hall, and just wrote on this yellow notepad, and I was like, something is happening. This is my, this is my punk rock album. This is a monologue that is profane and as, as raw me as I could possibly be. And then it got performed, and, you know, only, I don't know, 300 people saw it, but it, it got the reaction that I was hoping for, and the act of that, that kind of, the, the defiance and the thunder and the rage and the... You know the hilarity, uh, that kind of like I want to do something that's extre- as extreme as possible, and I don't give a fuck where this lands, and this isn't for my career. Yeah. And once you do that, you kind of go, oh, that's a whole door that's opened. And um, you know, if, if that door opens for you a couple of times in your lifetime, you're very lucky. Mm-hmm. So that was that was yeah. it for me. It's, it's interesting to hear that story, considering what you had talked about inspiring you. You know, is that same sort of work that has elicits all of these different emotions, and that's something that you were consciously or not trying to create with that. Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, it all it all came out. Yeah, yeah um, Melissa, what was yours? Well, contrary to what I said earlier about not having to write what you know, um, my first first thing I wrote was a, a dance movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, first two specs I wrote were, were dance movies, different kinds of dance, and both directly from my experience. And uh, first job I ever got was writing a dance movie, uh, a rewrite at Paramount, which never got made. But then that got, you know, but then I started going to TV. And, and as I said before, you know, over the course of, of, a very, of a long career, you have to reinvent and reinvent, you know, all the time. And, um, so, or I did. And so it's, you know, there was, there was that initially. And then I lulled and I did a picket fences spec and that, which opened with a case of priapism, which, you know, when you can, why not? And, uh, <laughs> And then a, a soprano, and you know, just kind of, mm. you know, uh, and, and if I lulled again, I would, I would. I mean, that's the beauty of what we do as writers is we can read that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'm curious. Have all of you written specs of existing shows at some point in your lives? Yes, I have not. You have not, Mark. and Jess, you have not. Well, you are kids, is why. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason, you have. Um. I never really wrote. No, I, I I didn't write a spec because I was writing uh, I was writing plays, mm-hmm. and then when I um, I wrote the um, I wrote this this ten minute play I was talking about that got that Ed's Wick read, mm-hmm. and then I came out and he was just that was just when they were developing uh, my so called life, so I got sort of staffed on that show uh, without really. You really like looking to, you know, write for TV. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that must have been an amazing learning curve for you to all of a sudden be writing in someone else's voice and a very strong voice too. Right. No, it was an amazing experience doing that. First of all, I'd never really, I'd never been on a film set or a television set before. I'd been, I didn't know how TV was made, and and so it was like my graduate school doing it. Um, but I, I remember that um, writing, you know, the, the, the process of 
or, or the form of writing, you know, uh, television, um, you know, um, was, uh, you know, it's different. It's a different animal than writing, mm-hmm. writing plays. And um, it took me a while to get it. And I was, um, you know, uh, it, was, it, was, it was terrifying because I was like, you know, I, I, I obviously wanted to be successful and it took me a little while to do it, but then I did. And then I had this chance, I had this really great opportunity on that show. There was one episode of the show that was told through a different character's voiceover than it was all, you know, Claire Dane's voice. And it was, it was, that was so much Winnie Holtzman's, you know, just who she was as a writer, and then there was one episode that was told through, uh, you know, the you know the 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 like nerdy neighbor who was in love with her, and um, and I got to write that episode. So I got to write the, a voice that was you know like 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 you know uh, you know different than the show, and that was a really great moment for me because I mm. felt like up until then I had done well in the show, and I was you know. I was doing okay, but that gave me the, the, the I felt like in that with that one, I really sort of sort of um, it was like like my moment to sort of make it a little bit of my own. Yeah, that's great. Um, and Doug, you have written spec of existing show. Yeah, I uh, wrote up X Files years ago, which was really really fun. I bet. What was it about? I'm always curious about what people write their specs. Oh my gosh, so long ago. Um, it was called Radiance, and it was um, about a, a program where they took kids who had cancer, whose parents were not equipped to deal with it emotionally or financially, and they said, we will we'll take you to a facility and we'll, we'll give you advanced treatment. But what they were actually doing was implanting radioactive isotopes in their wrists, so that they could track them when they were abducted by aliens and they could account for the radiation poisoning in these children by, uh, uh, by saying that they're helping them. Right. So it was all about... I do remember one moment where Mulder is obsessed with this and he says to this girl whose name is Anne, you know, his sister was Sam, and he said, I won't let them hurt you, Sam. And she goes, who the fuck is Sam? <laughs> you know, so, you know, in terms of, like, dovetailing genre with deeper emotions, it was, a, it was fun. Yeah. Was that, was that red? Did that ever help you get a job or an agent or anything? It, it did. I was told at the time, and again, this is 20 years ago, you know, so I don't know what the rules are now, but I was told, and I think, I think there's some lesson in this to be learned in 2016, what I was told by my agents was you, you, you screwed up because you wrote a Simpsons, which is like, you know, funny town. And then you wrote this, you know, dark thing and no one will read both of these because they're so different. You know, you have to write a, a you know, a drama to match your drama and a comedy to match your comedy. And I, Joss Whedon read the X-Files and he said, this is great. Do you have anything funny? And I showed him the, the Simpsons, and he said, "Why don't you come into my treehouse?" So, um, so write what you love. I yeah. think is the is the lesson there. Yeah, I think that's great, and I think there's real value. You know, we've talked about this a little bit, but in writing those specs of existing shows, you know that that is the job, and it is if you love a show, you should be able to write that show, uh, whether or not you know anyone's going to read it. I think it'll serve as a writer. Um. Let me ask you this, and then we'll start to wrap up. Um, these are the nuts and bolts questions that I never get to anymore. Uh, how did you guys get representation? How did you get your agent or manager or whatever came first? 
whoever wants to jump in. Okay, we're good. Um, I, uh, I knew an agent who I'd gone to high school with, and he, he was an agent at CAA, still a very successful agent now out here to this day. Um, and I wrote a script. It was the one that Alexa read. Wrote a script, sent it to him. He said, this, you know, this won't help you with anything. He was very helpful, though, with saying, he basically said kind of what your guy said, which was, this isn't good enough here, and he did me a huge favor. He said, here's nine existing Simpson scripts. Be as funny and well-constructed as one of these and don't come back until you do. And that was incredibly helpful. And then I got a job off the script that I had written. And he called and he said, hey, when are you going to send me that script? And I was like, you hated the script? And you said, oh, he goes, no, 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 no. And he started yelling his assistant, this whole sham act. I'm like, don't preach your script. I'm like, I have the same pile. He's like, no, no, no. She, I just, just send it over. I'm really interested. I was like, I got a job yesterday. You want 10% of it. You're not fooling anyone. So, and I said yes. Because you need an agent. Yeah, so that was great. That's how I did it. Um, I got I got my representation out of uh, I was in grad school and, and I know they say you shouldn't kind of like follow any one person's career because they're all totally different but if I did uh, I actually think I'd probably follow Jess I just like a couple years behind her like that 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 and that and so uh, I, I kind of went her path in the in the in the uh, the joke is the joke is their show that she wrote. Um, the uh, in, in the playwright good plug good yeah, plug yeah, you got uh, but the, yeah, I'm getting paid by Hulu now um, and yeah so to, through the theater world that was kind of my my way weirdly around the the writer's assistant track mm-hmm. was that I had done all the theater stuff so all my kind of like sweaty nights were actually like hanging lights in off Broadway theaters and doing that kind of stuff sure. off 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 Broadway stuff sure. and then what what how did the scripts eventually get noticed? Oh, was it through grad school? Yeah, it was, it was okay. through grad school. I was lucky enough that... Didn't you drop out? Why do you have to mention that? <laughs> Hold writers, on. Writers like... You dropped out? Yeah. No, because he, he became... You know, everybody I, wanted to hire I dropped out. Well, the, the school... The, I went to the Juilliard program for playwriting, and the school had, had recently, like graduated some really hot talent mm-hmm. like Jess, like Bo Williman, and all these people who had kind of like gotten tons of TV work, so I think their the agencies were kind of razor laser focused on oh, uh, who's coming out of there. Yeah. So that's how I lucked it. That's into great. That. Yeah, that's terrific. Melissa. Um, I looked into the alumni of my graduate program and there was four who had gone to my undergraduate and graduate program and one of them uh, I said, I'll ask her if I should read. She was uh, Liz Glosser over at Castle Rock, so I asked her, would you read my, my script? Senator, she, was, she said, I, I love this. We're not going to produce it, but I'm going to love it. I'm going to get in, I'm gonna help you get an agent. And it's like some movie open she couldn't know. And her assistant she was like, I know she read it. She loved it, but you know, I know we're not going to make it, but let me help you get an agent. So then she sent it over to another producer. This has an ending. Uh, and he, the, you know, she was like, I love it. So we're not going to make it, but I'm going to help you get an agent. Finally, she sends me to the, like four of her favorite boutique agents. And what's weird is that they start calling me and saying, give me that script right away. Give me that script right away. I'm thinking, what did she say to them? I'm like, my God. You know, they're calling me. So finally one of them says, you know, wants to meet with me before they even read the script. And uh, it was a small boutique agency called Swanson at the time. So I go down there, and the, the heads of the agency are there pitching me on their agency. And I, I still can't figure out what's going on. And finally, one of them says, uh, you, know, it, you know, we just made a deal with, for your mother, a really great deal. And I'm thinking, that's great. She's been dead 10 years. Yeah. 
They think I'm Joan Rivers' daughter, <laughs> whose name was Melissa Rosenberg Fantastic. at the time. So the other agents had, who had been sent to, you know, I called them right away to say, you know, I'm not Joan Rivers' daughter, but now they're too embarrassed to say that they were uh, doing this to nepotism. So one of them actually ended up signing me. And, uh, <laughs> That's amazing. How long did you stay with that agent? Um, about a year or so. And, and Enough to get to the next one? Hmm? Yeah, and I, that came through a call again from right. graduate school. That's hilarious. <laughs> Just. Um, yeah, I, I, from a play, but unlike Marco, even though I got the agent from my, you know, from Juilliard, from the school, it's still, I had to write many things to start working <laughs> in Hollywood. <laughs> but you got the agent, and but then I did get the agent from uh, being a playwright. Did, and did the agent say, "Write me a bunch of screenplays," or did you just know that this was the path? I mean, it all kind of goes together. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, you, they set you up on meetings, but I feel like you know somehow. And I, at the time, was not pursuing television, but I, I think the the play didn't tr- like make people think like you can write a movie. Mm-hmm. Even though you know people sure. loved, liked, responded to the writing, but you know it didn't. Um, you know, that yeah. I still had to write something in that form to get. Yeah, you have to show the technical skills, right? Um, Jason? Um, I spent about seven or eight years writing plays, and I had could not get an agent. And uh, then I met with, when Ed Zwick read my play, I came and met with him, um, and had, uh, you know, really good meeting with him, and at, right when I was leaving, he said, oh, who's your agent? And I said, I don't have an agent. And so he said, oh, do you want me to send your stuff around? I was like, okay. And uh, the end of that, by the end of that week, I, I had an agent. <laughs> Sometimes it works that way. <laughs> they all hate you right now. It's fine. Um, we're going to wrap up, as we always do, by asking what you are watching on television these days. What is getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your family, with your room, whatever it is? And we're going to start here with Jason and go down the line. You know, I, you know it's, it's, it's a, now it's sort of about trying to sort of keep up with shows, you know? So, you know it's, it's so different than it used to be, it's trying to find something out there to watch. Um, but you know, I will. We I just started watching the uh, O.J. Simpson show, which I thought I think is really, I, you know, addictive. Um, and then um, the shows that I really, over the last few years, that I watch and follow are, you know, uh, The Americans and Homeland and Veep and and Orange is the New Black and. Um, good answers. Shows. Those are good answers, Jessica. Um, I'm watching Mad Men season six finally. <laughs> I mean, I've I've finally got there. I just started Jessica Jones, which I'm loving. Um, I just finished Transparent season two, and I'm started OJ. I'm 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 caught up with OJ. So, and I watch Homeland. So, uh, The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And what time is tonight? Yeah. Uh, and on network, uh, Good Wife. Lower show. Yeah. Mark? Uh, I'm watching Baskets, mm-hmm. and I'm watching Broad City. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Nice. Doug? I just started Mr. Robot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pretty good, right? <laughs> Did you see, uh, was the other one that should have been called Mr. Robot? Oh, Humans? <laughs> Check out Humans. Before we wrap up, uh, I have a few remaining questions, and we have to plug your things. Uh, Jason, you have a pilot in contention, is that correct? 
I have a pilot that we're uh, uh, shooting now at for CBS. Okay, yes. how's it going? It's going great. We're casting. We haven't started shooting yet, so yeah. It's, All right. It's, yeah. You believe in it? I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jess, The Path yes. premieres on Hulu. March 30th. Okay. Check it out, everybody. Check it out. It's good stuff. And it, will they, is it released weekly? Not all at once, right? No, so they, they're releasing two on March 30th, and then they'll release them weekly. Melissa, what do you got? Oh, let's talk about a thing you're supposedly writing. Highlander? Oh, no, no, no. That's no? many years ago, just a rewrite. Okay. Okay, so you're, are you doing a bunch of rewrites these days? I'm doing some, some rewrites. Yeah, I'm all getting together with Jessica Room. Okay. My plug is still Jessica Jones, available on Netflix. All right. episodes. Check, if you haven't watched it yet, you guys, what are you waiting for? So good. Yeah. Uh, Marco. Marco and Doug, when does Daredevil Season 2 begin? Uh, March 18th. All episodes launch. All uh, right. Daredevil, Elektra, and Punisher. Yes. Let's, can we talk about this for a second? This is, I don't usually get this nerdy. But at what point did Punisher become part of the conversation for Season 2? Right, right from the start. Basically. What did it start in season one? No, there were some okay. thoughts about you know sneaking him in there, but no. As you can see on season one, he's he's right. not, and now he will be. <laughs> um, and was it? This came from you two planning the season, presumably. Um, and this was sort of when I started asking about like you have fifty years worth of story. How do you start to narrow that down into what's going into? That like how how did Punisher come up and how did you guys create your take on the character, which is a really great take. Uh, yeah, I, I think I, the best way to answer this probably it was kind of like a weird dance between us and Marvel. It felt like, uh, hey, would this be interesting? Of course, how the fuck? It, yeah, of course it's interesting. Like they opened the the coolest toy chest in the world, and so um, it, it it was like, would, would this work? And we were done. Like I think we can make it work. Um, so that's probably how those two characters kind of made their way into okay. our world. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Listen, all the stuff you loved in Daredevil season one is there. All the great relationship soap opera stuff, which you both do very well. Um, but also, Punisher and Elektra are fucking great. Please give a round of applause to all of our panelists. Thank you guys so much for being here. Thanks to everyone at H Six LA. Uh, please give a round of applause to Tony Thaxton who helped me out tonight. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, and please exit that way. Now leaving Nerdist.com. 